0: We said that we had our anniversary last week, and we're celebrating our one-year anniversary of Lakeside Christian Church, and we're thankful to God for his providence and his mercy to allow us to worship him and proclaim his name. And as as it's very obvious, we said, what would be the obvious text to go to? And clearly, you know, Second Chronicles chapter 34, right? No, but we did find God led us there. Peter made a suggestion, and it resonated with me, and we found ourselves in Second Chronicles chapter 34. In chapter 35, King Josiah, little eight-year-old king taking the throne. And God has opened it up for us to discuss and look in his word and see how that applies. How this story of an eight-year-old king talks to us and lives within our hearts. A very, very brief recap. We had had three major points. Is that our past does not determine our future. If you know anything about Josiah's dad, his granddad, they were some of the most evil people ever imagined. And now you're an eight-year-old, and his future, you might say, is already predetermined. It's hard to break those chains. Talked to a lot of sociologists today. Hard to break those chains. But Josiah had a way. If you'd like to study it out, it's a wonderful thing. Study it out. How much did he know? We know he didn't know much. But what he knew, he lived. A little light is enough to begin. We don't have to know the whole story and how it all works together. We don't have to have all the answers to begin our walk of faith. What God has revealed to us is by definition enough for us to begin. And then the third point, God's word is primary. You remember the story, they're restoring the temple, they were restoring the church last week, they were in there, Josiah is all excited, they're building the church, they're putting it together, his spirit had been moved, he had been learning, the light has been revealed, and the high priest says, what did they find? Who was here last week, what did they find? They found the Bible. <laughs> Look at this, we got the Bible. Oh my goodness, we've been here worshiping and doing and going about our way. And we found the Bible in the church, spring cleaning. Woo, who knew? And from there, the light accelerated. And the repentance increased. And things changed even faster. Because the Bible is it. We said, did they look at the whole Torah? Did they find the whole Torah, the whole five, first five books of Moses? Did they find just Deuteronomy, the book of the law? We don't know, but they found either what they had as Scripture or a part of what they had as Scripture. And it accelerated everything. Our past does not determine our future. A little light is enough to begin. And God's word is the key in his primary. That was chapter 34. If you're looking at your Bibles that are provided for you, page 385, I believe. That's what happens in chapter 34. Let us see what kicks on in chapter 35. I will tell you, as I read the two, it took me a little while. This is why we want to do Bible study because it takes a little while to come up with some of the notes and some of the ideas that we have, right? It's not just like you read it once through. Oh, I got it all. Let's go right now. You have to sit there, and I'm like, 34, I read 35. I went back and read 34. Did I miss a chapter in here? Really? 34? This is 35? Huh. Well, let's read it. Maybe you're in the reading, so I'm not going to give it away right now. So let's read it, and you might say the same thing. If you're brighter than I, you might catch it right away. All right, chapter 35. We're going to read the first 19 verses, and God's people will read it together. Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He had appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your fathers' houses by your divisions, as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the divisions of the Levites by fathers' household. And slaughter the Passover lamb and consecrate yourselves. And prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present lambs and young goats from the flock to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. And his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites, Hokiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, the chief officers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings of 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Konaniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nathaniel, his brothers, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Josabad, The chiefs of the Levites gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. When the service had been prepared for, the priests stood in their place, and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's commands, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb, and the priests threw the blood that they received from them, while the Levites flayed the sacrifices. And they set aside the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the father's houses of the lay people, to offer up to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the bulls. And they roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the rule, and they boiled the holy offerings in pots in cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the lay people. And afterward they prepared for themselves and for the priests, because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts until night. So the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their place, according to the command of David and Asaph and Heman and Jesu- Jeduthun. And the king's seer. And the gatekeepers were at each gate. And they did not depart from their service. For their brothers the Levites prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day. To keep the Passover. And to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord. According to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present. Kept the Passover at that time. And the feast of unleavened bread seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel, the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. May God bless the reading of his word. Revival. Restoration and renewal is what we're talking about. And we found that that revival can come from his word and it moves us forward and it creates repentance and it gives us joy in the Lord. But all of a sudden now we have that individual and it's coming here in corporate form. One of the things we can see is it is the group now. The group is gathered together and they're doing what? They are performing the Passover. They're celebrating the Passover. And as you read it, some of your minds might have wandered because it's kind of like they did this and then they went and did this and they went over there and it can start to feel at times like religion. It can start to feel like church can feel sometimes. We've got to do this and we do that and we do this in this order and we go here. But why did they go there? If we don't understand the why, that's what it will feel like. That's what it will look like. What is going on that when they were in the word, when they found the word and they studied it, they turned corporately to the Passover. Because that was what for me was interesting. It just flowed right to the Passover. Well, we need to do a little more Bible study. We need to turn to Exodus chapter 12. I don't have a page number for you, but it's the second book, so go left. Second book in the Bible. Chapter 12. We're going to bounce around chapter 12 just for a bit here. Start with me in verse 21. I'd like to read a few verses so we can get context. So the, the whole chapter is about the Passover. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and he said to them Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you or kill you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. You remember the story at all? Are you familiar with the story, right? The the Israelites are in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. They want to get out and they go through the plagues. And here we're coming out of the last plague where God is going to strike. And he tells them, I am going to pass over this land. And I'm going to kill the firstborn of everything. Except for there's one way out. If you kill a spotless lamb, a blameless lamb, and you put the blood of that lamb on your doorposts as a sign for God as he passes over that house, I will spare. So the blood of the lamb is what created salvation for a house. And it is called the Passover because it passed over. The Lord will pass over a house. Now we have a lot to do here and we're going to see how we're going to do it. I'm asking the Lord for some grace because i got some distracted thoughts because there's so much here and hard to pack it in. What I wrote down is a few verses. I hope it will unpack it for us. We're going to go back just to chapter 11 a little bit as we unpack this. Chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses says, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. What do we know here? What is it telling us? Yeah, we get it, right? We're going to go. Got, the Lord says, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. I'm going to go out in this land. And everybody that's in this land is under judgment. Everybody. I will go on in this land and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. All the way from the Pharaoh's sons to the cattle to the slave girl. Everybody. Everybody is under judgment. Sometimes we think that Israel was separate from that. They're separate from the opportunity, but we take this as a takeaway point. In the world that we live in, we begin under condemnation. We don't grow up and then as a teenager we move from salvation to condemnation. We don't move from righteousness to unrighteousness and then somehow try to find our way back to God. We begin separated from God. We begin in darkness. We begin under his judgment. What we're waiting for is the execution of his judgment. So in the way we are naturally, if God would come, every one of us is living in the land of Egypt. Fallen man, separated from God. That is the way we need to understand and we need to begin. So what's going on, this idea? Look what's going on. Follow along with me. Chapter 12, verse 3. Moses Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers. you got to tell people. They didn't understand all of this. God revealed this to Moses. He's revealed it in his word. God wants us to be telling the story of what is going on. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. This is the prophecy that's giving us the vision of Jesus Christ. The Passover in this day. The Israelites didn't understand it completely. But he was telling them, you shall take a spotless lamb. Something without any blemish. Without any error in it. And this lamb will be your opportunity for salvation. Not some other way. Not standing outside and waving. Hey, it's good. I'm, I'm here. I got you. You have to have a spotless lamb. The blood of the lamb. Your lamb should be without blemish, a male of a year old. Verse seven, then shall you take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house. Taking the blood of the lamb was a sign putting it on the house, this blood is, Lord, what we're trusting in. Now think about that for a second. It seemed like, is you sure? I mean, if we're wrong here, somebody dies. You just want us to take a lamb and a little bit of blood and just put it there. If it was me, I mean, I'd be putting it all over there, right? I mean, just make sure and put a spotlight on it. I mean, because the risk... The risk to being wrong is grave. So, belief that the blood. Take a look at how much faith that is. How many of us would want to build some kind of bunker? Well, clearly, some kind of, maybe it's a poison gas that's going to come. I don't know how they're going to accomplish this, but if I can just get deep enough in the ground, if I can build a big enough bunker, if I can run further away, maybe if I just get, you know, a couple miles away, lots of other ways to salvation, right? that seem a little more prudent, They take a little less faith, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a little bit of lamb and put a little blood on a doorpost and I'm just going to go to bed. Relax. It takes a little bit of faith, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of faith, especially when you've seen the first nine plagues because you kind of believe it's coming. What God said he's going to do, what else did he ask him to do? Take some of this and put it on verse eight. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on their fire. To me, this is a symbolism. So when we've symbolized in Christ, putting it on our house, but what does the eating of it symbolize? Taking it in from our house into our hearts, into our bodies personally. We can symbolize that we are people of God and that the house has a faith in God, and we put the blood of the house, but we are to eat of it. We are to bring the lamb into our own bodies. It's where he wants to reside. That's where he wants to be. Some other interesting, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We are ready to move. It is, we are eating, and we're not just going to sit down to slumber. Taking the Lord's Passover is an indication of we are ready to go with him where he takes us to the promised land. We, when we take the Lord's Passover, we are on the journey with him. God is a God of movement. God is a God of taking. God is a God of pulling people together. God is a God of pulling people into his land, his place, his heaven. And he wants us to have our feet ready and our belts tightened, Not none of this business of, whoa, wait, their head. I got to get my shoes. I got to get this. We want to go. God wants us to be ready to go. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I want you to pay attention to that phrase, execute judgment. He is not coming to determine who's good and who's bad. This is not Santa Claus. Judgment has already been made. What's he coming to do? Execute judgment. They stand in judgment already. So I am coming to execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be assigned for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So take that in converse. You stand in judgment. You stand ready. I'm gonna execute it. And if there is no blood of the lamb... There is execution of judgment coming. We're going to expand this just here in a bit. But this idea, we forget. We forget. And one of the reasons we need to get in the book is because the book reminds us of what? That we are sinners. That we are fallen. We're nowhere near God. We can't even understand him. We're blind. We're dead. We cannot fathom him unless he reveals himself to us. And he's chosen primarily to reveal himself through his word and his spirit. So when we start to understand, one of the reasons we want to read the word is because then we can understand that I've got a problem. Righteous and holy God is here and unrighteous and fallen stand is here. We can't even begin to want to put the blood on our doorposts until we understand that. If we walk around ignorantly, and that's where Satan wants us to be, he loves to have this. Go ahead, have your book, but just set it over there. It's okay if it's in the temple. Just make sure you don't find it. Because if you read it, uh, the secret's going to be out. You got a problem. I was trying to hide that from you. I was trying to tell you, you're pretty good. You work hard. You tie to the local foundation. You're part of the spring cleanups in your community. You help and volunteer at school. It's all good. You support the local government. Try to abide by the speed limit. But if you don't, you pay your bill at least when you get caught. You try to do right. And we tend to believe our own press clippings. It's not so bad. And we have other people telling us that. It's not so bad. We're not so bad. People are generally good. If people are generally good, why are hundreds of millions being murdered in warfare every single century, it seems? The more people we have, the more people are dying at each other's hands. We like to say philosophically we're generally good, and we know that it doesn't resonate, but we don't want to do the hard work but right here, and I think sometimes we don't, because we don't know what the answer is then. If we're not generally good and we're not good enough, then what? It's the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And so what, verse 27, so what did the people do? Jump ahead. You shall say... I love this. When the children, verse 26, when the children say to you, what do you mean by this service? They're doing this in the future. And you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. When you tell that to the children, when they heard that, what did they do? And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. I'm reading a book. It's just, a, uh, if you will, just a fun book, um, a fiction book. And a part of it struck me. I was reading a passage in it this week as I was obviously preparing some of these things. And it's a the setting is World War I, Most of the settings in uh, Britain, and it's talking about this coal mining town. And in this coal mining town, everyone you know there are coal miners, and everyone's a coal miner, and they're working really hard. And the war breaks out, and the and the young men are conscripted into the army. And they've been in the army now, and now they're fighting Germany, and you got Britain and Germany, and they're up in France, and they're fighting like crazy. And some of the, some of the issues that are going on, the gossip on the street is that the, the, the way the war is being set up and the way it's being run by the generals is a disaster. So the local papers are saying, we're winning all the time, which is great. You know, it's all good, you know, the little propaganda in the papers. But the gossip is our boys are dying left and right. It's massacres on, on, the, on the French front and on the German front. They're dying. Well... One of the rituals was, on a monthly basis, the post office would come. And they would come with letters from the army. And they would deliver letters because so many boys were dying. And all the boys in the town were in the, in the fights. They would just walk with the stacks of letters. And they would walk house by house. So all the people would be standing out, mom and dad, maybe little sister, maybe younger brother who is 13, not old enough yet. And here comes the postman. And what do you think everybody wanted? Can I have my mail? Or please, please have no mail for me. The one mother was trying to give them the envelope. Like, I don't want it. Take it back. I don't want it. To... And they were going down house by house. They were coming to the one, of the main character. And they paused and they went to the next house. No mail. Imagine think like that, you and me. Passed over. Can you imagine the joy? Obviously the sorrow. We'll get to that issue, the sorrow for our neighbors. But imagine momentarily passing you by. Have you ever thought that you'd be happy when you're not picked? I mean I remember being frustrated sometimes, sports and stuff. Hello, you know, here we go. Can I get picked, please? Can I be on your team, you know, in lab class? You want to always get picked. When has it been wonderful and joyful to get passed over? When judgment is coming and when death is in the offing. It's is why they celebrate the Passover. When your children ask you, why do you celebrate this Passover? What do you do? Why are we dancing? Why is there music? Why is there a feast? What is going on? Let me tell you why. We were passed over. We are alive. You are alive, son, when you could be dead because of the grace of God. How does this translate for us? How does this move into the Second Testament? You might say, I think I get it. I understand that we have the blood of Christ. We have the symbol of it in the Passover. Jesus is our Lamb. Am I getting it right? You are. First Corinthians. You gotta go quite a bit right. First Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed it's explicitly stated throughout the New Testament that Christ is our Passover. When, when we say that we celebrate Jesus Christ and that his death and his resurrection, when we say that Jesus died, we believe in Jesus, what we mean is the story of the Passover. I know that I am judged guilty. I know that I am dead. The only thing that can make me alive when God's judgment comes is that the blood is on the doorpost and I've eaten of the lamb. And Jesus Christ was the final lamb, the perfect one. God himself sacrificing literally himself for our sin because there could be nothing greater and nothing is perfect other than himself. He is our lamb. Paul is speaking this way. The revelator wrote it in a little different way, uh, but I think it's very healthy. Turn with me to the last book. A little easier to find, Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Verses 6 through 10. John, when he's seeing the vision, he's seeing the vision of Christ in heaven, seeing that this is what is going to be said. This was what was said that he was able to see. This is what it is recorded for us to understand and to know. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, though it had been slain. I saw a lamb standing. But as though it had been slain. How cool and how amazing is that for John to be right this for us. With seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll, the lamb did, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll and four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Pay attention here. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. The title, the subtitle of today's discussion is Saved for Grace. You might have thought it's a typo. Mikey did not mistype it. He got it right. It, typically, we would say that we're saved by grace. right? That's what we've been talking about, and we are. Then why did Josiah and them go right to the Passover? What were they doing? And I'm going to say that that is saved for grace. And here is how we want to leave us. First Timothy, a little more left, we're going to get a little schizophrenic here, a little left, a little right, a little left, it's a good way to be in scripture, First Timothy chapter 1, just two verses, verses 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We need to read a little bit of verse 16 again. But I received mercy, I received grace, For this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was saved by grace for grace. He was saved to be an example, to tell others of the saving power of Jesus Christ whose blood had ransomed the people from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. Friends, it's not being written so we can go, wow, well, that's nice for Paul. It is written and preserved for us because we were saved by grace for what? For grace. The grace we've been given is the grace we need to share. Could you imagine being there in the time of the Exodus, putting the blood on the doorpost, and you're walking out, one of your best friends, right across the street. And it's near midnight, and you see no blood in their doorpost. Friends, what were we to do? Say, oh, well, I've got mine. Is that the heart of Jesus? I think what we would do and should do is run across the street and say, what's going on here? Is something going wrong? How can I help? Do you understand? Did you hear the message? Did you miss it? Were you not there in the assembly today? Did somebody, did your lamb run away? I mean, I don't know what I would ask them, but I would want to help. There are many in our lives who have not accepted Jesus Christ, who do not understand and i believe that the scripture teaches that we are here for grace to be the grace for them god has chosen to partner with you and i for them i think this is fleshed out a little bit further go to second corinthians go a little bit more left second corinthians i believe we'll make this our last text But I will pick two in Second Corinthians, so that's okay. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse fifteen. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I've had this underlined in my Bible for a long time, and I'm gonna read it again. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase. Thanksgiving to the glory of God. Can you imagine what the Bible is saying there? It wants grace to extend to literally more and more people so that thanksgiving to God can be magnified and pulled together. The Spirit is going to do that work, but the Spirit has chosen to do it through his commissioned. And who are those commissioned? I'm really glad you asked that, so go ahead in the next chapter. Chapter 5, 18, 19, and 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, i.e. their sins against them, and entrusting to us, to you and I, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God is using us. He's using you and me to tell the story of his grace. And this was true even in the Old Testament. I'm not going to make you go back, but if you're taking notes, you'll go back to Exodus chapter 12. If you start at the end of the chapter towards verse 43, they're going to go through how do we institute the Passover? Right? They start instituting, and guess what? One of their first questions is well, it's not going to be just Israel, it's not going to be just those of us that were saved. Pretty quickly, we're going to be somewhere, and there's going to be others around us. What do we do then? He says, listen, if you got foreigners, if you got different journeymen, if you got people passing through, if you got neighbors that are not Israel, they're not allowed to partake. They're not allowed. Because it's an, a right of faith that is being asked for. But they could be allowed. If they take on them the sign of the covenant, if they take on the sign of faith, and in that time God had the sign of the covenant being circumcision, if they take the circumcision and if they take the sign of faith, gather in the foreigners because they will celebrate the Passover with us. Our sign of the covenant today is baptism. So when we share it with somebody and we say, hey, let's come celebrate the Passover, do you believe in Jesus? No, they do not celebrate because what are you celebrating? You're celebrating blasphemy. You're heaping condemnation upon ourselves, similar to communion. But if we say Jesus Christ died for you, all you have to do is accept his blood. God wants you to be saved. He will cover your sin by his grace if you will accept it. Do you accept it? Amen. Will you testify that by baptizing in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Amen. Let's celebrate because we too, you too now, are grafted in. You are part of the family, part of the universal church, and we are saved together equally. Equally. It is for everyone, for all place and for all time. We gather and we scatter. Sometimes we need a simple thought to help us. The reason we gather at church is we do not celebrate Passover now in a sense of a feast uh, once a year under certain times. We celebrate the Passover because Jesus Christ, what the Passover was pointing to, has now come. We celebrate Jesus now daily. So here's your takeaway point. We we celebrate the Passover every single day in our life by giving praise to God and worshiping the one who passed us over and who is alive and well like they were doing in Revelation. We celebrate the Passover now every single day. So we wonder why we should wake up with joy? We wake up with joy because God is alive and God has saved us and my own sin is not going to be our judgment. What should I do today? When I go to my work, when I go to my school, when I stay at home with the kids, I should find a way to tell the story of the Passover. Find somebody whose house does not have the blood because they're dying. We are saved by grace for grace. When we come to church, we come to celebrate the Passover. We come to worship the king who saved us. That's why we should be celebrating The joy should be pouring out of our hearts. We are not here to do something. We are here to recognize the one who has done it for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. A practical point, because I think we would all say amen to that, which we did. It's difficult, though, right, to conjure it up. I want to feel compassion for them, but I'm exhausted So, the takeaway here for us is, and I'm off the scripture, I'm just kind of extemporaneous for you here for a second. You cannot manufacture compassion. Can't do it. All right, now let's create a program to go do that. All right, that's what we need to do. Pastor said, we've got to do it. Let's organize ourselves, do it. If the heart's not in it, it's not there we got to get into the word. That's why it started with Josiah and his reign started with they found the word, they were in the word, they repented, they changed, they got rid of stuff. One of the first things they did, they simplified. And when you get into the word, you'll be shocked at how your heart will be full for worship and you will be so energized to go out. How do we title this whole thing in this whole anniversary message? Revival renewal, and restoration. We're not talking about piling on more to do. We're talking about getting rid of everything that exhausts us because where we're in the spirit, we will be energized. We may be hurt. We may be broken. We may be despised. We may even be sad, but we will be energized. And the energy comes from God himself as we worship him, and the energy for evangelism is not a work, is not an exhaustion. It is an outpouring of the joy and the energy that is in us. If you believe that God created all the energy in the entire universe, it is here and is for us and it is to lift us up. This is not work, it is the joy that work can be. Friends, I want to encourage us that in our lives, in your life and in my life, there are particular people that are there that are dying, that don't know that they're dying or know know that they're dead already, and they have an opportunity for life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you and I have been made aware, we have been made aware for our salvation, and we have been saved for grace. If our heart is not there, if we are struggling to find that as a preeminence for our existence in this life, confess it to the Lord. It's not going to shock him. He understands we struggle. Get into the word. He has promised us For what he has called us, he will equip us. And for that, I think we should bend our knees and say amen and pray to him. Father God, we want to thank you that you've left us your word. We want to thank you that you've given us the story that you have preserved through the chronicler of Josiah, a young man who's being raised up without a lot of knowledge, with a lot of baggage, with a lot of sin, with a lot of issues, with no coaching and guidance from parents and others. But you have provided those people in enough light. And you're providing that for us here, Lord. We all come with our different challenges or different histories or different struggles. But you've brought us here together. And you are talking to us. So Lord, first thing we ask is make sure, Lord, touch us. We beg of you, Lord, touch us. If we haven't come to know you, Bring us into a knowledge and so we can have saving faith. Let us claim the blood of Jesus Christ today. If we know you, Lord, let us share it. Let us live in it. Let us celebrate your Passover. Lord, we ask this humbly, but we, Lord, we ask it desperately. Do a work in us for your honor, for your glory, for your sake. In Jesus' resurrected name we pray, amen.